Okay, um, let's go back to Romans chapter 14, and uh, let's, uh, we'll, we'll kind of wrap up a few things tonight. Um, I, I want to remind you that the whole chapter, uh, all of chapter 14, has to do with Christians um, relating more sweetly one to the other by eliminating our propensity to judge each other harshly that one of the things that tends to disrupt the, the, the community of God's people is our, is our tendency to view your acts in the worst of all possible lights and my acts in the best of all possible lights. That is, I view my own actions in the best possible uh, uh, lights, but I view yours in the worst of all possible and, and it creates a good deal of friction, a good deal of conflict that is, that is unnecessary, and Paul is addressing that, which I think is very interesting in, in his uh, letter to the Romans, that he would spend such space on, on that subject, but he does. It seems to be important to him, and it should be important to us. But let me say to you guys uh, that, that most of us get very impatient with repetition. I mean, you know, we, we hear it, and then we say, well, listen, I heard you the first time, honey, and you don't need to tell me again. Um, but uh, these last few verses of, um, of Romans 14 are repetitious. They're, they're, they're the repeat of things that he's already said in the previous 16 verses. Um, now, w- when the Bible gets ready to emphasize something, the way that it emphasized it was by repetition. It would repeat those things. And, and so I would simply say to you, in terms of a lesson, this was important enough uh, for the Apostle Paul to repeat it um, so that you and I will take it seriously, that the, the idea that we are, um, um, there's a mutuality that exists among us that we, that we don't often value very highly uh, or protect or defend very, very rigorously, is something that the New Testament considers important. But, but, but what I'm going to do tonight is I'm not going to repeat the things that I've already said that have grown right out of this text. I mean, um, um, for instance, um, this whole idea of making another brother stumble. Uh, verse 20, everything is indeed clean. He says that in verse 14. Uh, there's a lot of repetition in these last few verses. But what I'm, what I'm going to do with our few minutes together is try to pick out some things that are just somewhat new here, that are new ideas uh, a part of, that are a part of this text. Um, and we have been talking about legalism and how legalism um, um, is, is such a, it's just such a blight on the Christian church because what it does is, is creates the, uh, the really super spiritual because I keep this code and you aren't very spiritual because you don't keep that code. Um, my wife whispered in my ear and she's dying for me to tell this story and so I must tell this story because my wife told me to tell this story but uh, she did remind me of a couple that, um, that we knew when we were in Ocala and um, they, had, they had lots of kids. I think they had five, maybe they had four but I mean, who keeps track of it after four? But I mean, they had lots of kids, and this guy was, I mean, he was Mr. Rigidity. And this home was, mm, you know, straight and there, you know, just straight. And one of the things that he would not permit his kids to do was to listen to an Amy Grant song. Now, this was before Amy, this is back in the 70s. This is back when Amy Grant was singing Hallelujah choruses. And, you know, she didn't make the crossover into country and western. And, you know, she was this, this golden girl in the 
But he didn't want his daughter, he didn't want his children to listen to Amy Grant. And so Susie lived with the fear that one of my children would break out into an Amy Grant song in their presence, and then they would know just how carnal we really were um, as, as, a, as a family, because we listened to Amy Grant. I mean, we, we, we would travel with Amy, you know? And, um, and then, um, of course, the, the, um, the, the rest of that story is... That man was a school teacher who ended up having an affair with one of his students and leaving his wife. But he wouldn't listen to Amy Grant songs. Do you see how godless it is, ladies and gentlemen? And for us to exercise that kind of evaluation of each other based on things like that is just, it's just heading nowhere. In fact, I, I think really the, the summary comment was the one that he made in verse 17 that we looked at last week. The kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking. It's, it's in righteousness and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. Not those external things, for heaven's sakes. It's the internal things. If you want to measure uh, uh, spirituality, you know, we, we're going to have to have a scope on the inside of the soul, which we don't have. So, just stop doing it. Stop trying to evaluate and measure and, you know, gauge everybody's spirituality. Now, those are, those are lessons that, that we've looked at in, in the fall here. But there's a couple of things in here that I want to draw your attention to that are somewhat new in the text. Um, here's, oh, by the way, let me read you verses 18 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll come back and... Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and to God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, guys, admittedly, I'm going to bounce around in the text just a little bit, but let me just show you a couple of things that that, that might trouble you. For instance, um, verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. (laughs) Now, guys, if you isolate that from the context in which it's found, you can come up with some pretty weird uh, positions. Um, As if he were saying, well, if you believe in Jesus Christ, just keep it to yourself, between you and God. But that's not what the, the Apostle Paul is talking about. And the, the, reason, the reason we know that is the context in which this is found. The faith in view here is, is not saving faith, but the faith that is not violated when meat sacrificed to idols is eaten by you. That is, if you happen to be one of those whose faith recognizes that there's really nothing inappropriate about eating that meat, that kind of that kind of clean conviction and heart before God, that's the kind of faith that's being mentioned here. And you just keep that to yourself. You don't need to, you don't need to um, overbear with your convictions that everybody else should have them. 
It doesn't bother me to eat that meat that's sacrificed to idols. <laughs> that's no big deal. Well, that's what Paul has in view in verse 22. Not that we should keep our, our uh, saving faith in Christ to ourselves. Now, one of the things that I, I, I just wanted to mention that um, in the beginning, but one of the things that I, I wanted to draw your attention to is what I think is a pretty, it's, it's a pretty alarming concept. Let me show it to you. It's in, um, it's in verse 20. Uh, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Here's, here's my point, guys. I want you to notice that, first of all, the thing that God is up to in your life, this text uh, describes as the work of God. God is up to a work in you. He's, there's a work of God that's going on in you. Um, Jesus in Matthew 17 says, upon this rock I will build my church. And, and notice in verse 19 this, this wonderful phrase, mutual upbuilding. There is an upbuilding that, um, that you and I uh, should be performing that is amongst ourselves. And, you know, and, and I don't think Christians in general um, are very aware of that duty. That is a mutual upbuilding. That uh, I should be interested in seeing you grow up. But the thing that I, I, I want you to see is this thing that God is up to is called the work of God. And he says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy. Destroy the work of God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the point that by the conduct of my, or by the execution of my Christian liberties, I could destroy the work of God in you. That's a pretty weighty um, uh, idea. That depending on how I handle my Christian liberty, mishandling it, could have a very deleterious effect on some other brother or sister. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of your pontifications over how other brethren should live. And I can't believe he did that. And, you know, Think of, think of the damage that you can do, whereas we're supposed to be engaged in this mutual upbuilding thing. No, no, no. By the exercise of our freedoms, and we're going to have our freedoms, we can damage. We can damage. We can do last. Let me give you an example, and I, and I hope, I, I think it's old enough now. I think that the news is over, and, and I, I'm certainly not, certainly not celebrating or picking because it's over it's over and i i'm about to use an example that's very sensitive to some of you and i don't blame you one iota but i think it was in 2005 and germantown baptist church absolutely blew up blew up the reasons you know you can you can 
pick out what reasons. Some of them said it was government, and some of them said it was control, and some of them said it was missions. And you know, I, it doesn't matter, ladies and gentlemen. The over the end result of that is that a lot of people got seriously damaged because they watched other Christians and how they were relating to one another, and they would watch. I mean, I, I bet you I've had that said to me a dozen times. I never want to see people acting like that ever again. I don't blame them. I don't blame them a bit. And, you know, I, I, I've, told, I've said this from the Sunday morning pulpit before. When I, when I meet new people on Sunday morning, and um, um, I, I usually don't ask this question, but sometimes it comes up, yes, we, we're, we are uh, looking for a new church. We've been at Germantown Baptist. And I always say, I'm sorry. And I don't mean, I'm sorry you were a Germantown Baptist. I mean, I'm sorry that you had to experience that. None of us should have to experience that. I wonder how many people do you know that are out there who probably have a profession of faith, but are so bruised, so scarred, so disillusioned by how Christians related to one another that they just completely quit. They dropped off the, 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 the spirit, the ecclesiastical planet. I'm not going to be a part of one of those things. Look at it, guys. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Guys, don't do that. Um, d- don't try to make a, a non-essential into something that will, um, that will ultimately harm. You know... Um, I want, you to, I want you to see a text with me if you still got, I mean, open your, your Bible. I mean, turn, find 1 Corinthians 6. Um, and this is, a, this is a very testy little passage itself because it has to do with Christians taking other Christians to court and all that business. And, uh, but I just want to show you one of the things that the Apostle Paul says. It's in verse 7, 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Uh, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. And here's, here's, here's what I want you to see, this question, this rhetorical question. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? If I could just add a few explanatory words. Why not rather suffer wrong than go ahead and exercise your Christian liberties to the expense of some other believer. Huh? Why, why not rather be defrauded than insist upon your rights as a, um, as a believer? You can destroy. You can do some real damage, ladies and gentlemen. And um, I remember Chuck Swindoll wrote a book years ago um, on the whole subject of grace. And he made the comment in the book, and I'll find it for you if you, if you make me. But he, he talked about there's nothing that sucks the lifeblood out of the church quicker than legalism. And I couldn't agree more. Ladies and gentlemen, how we exercise our spiritual, our spiritual freedoms um, can do some great damage. Okay, I want to show you a couple more things and we'll quit. <clears throat> I have made a big deal in this, in these, this fall 
um, about the whole idea of alcohol consumption. And, and I, I want you to see in verse 21 that that example grew out of the text. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, I don't think Paul was dealing with the kind of alcohol consumption. I don't think there was, you know, Patron and, and Jack Daniels. Um, and so the real alcohol was in the wine. I'm simply saying, guys, that that was an issue in the first century church. The whole idea of how I was going to... I didn't, I didn't go after that one simply because it's a southern silliness. It was an issue even here. I just wanted you to see that. Now, and my, my concluding remarks are, are really based out of verse 23. So take a look at 23 with me. And, um, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, guys, that's a repetition. He's already said something very much like that earlier in the text, uh, in verse, um, uh, verse 14. But I, but I wanted to spend a little bit of time on it because it contains something that we haven't seen before, I don't think. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, verse 23 is, is telling you that whatever we do, which we are not certain, is right. To us, it is wrong. Even though it may not be wrong. Um, I, I love to say this. You're on the, the beaches of Destin, and you brought you a book down to read on the beach, and you start reading the book, and, you know, the first chapter is pretty good, and the second chapter is pretty good, and then the third chapter, things go really raunchy. And, and at that moment, you're kind of caught, and, and you're thinking, you know, should I be reading this or not? Not. For whatever is not a faith is sin. You know, guys, um, personal confession. I'm off on Mondays, and uh, I don't watch a whole lot of television, but I, I like to watch the Monday night football game, but it comes on at 7.30. There's a, so I'm usually, you know, ready to watch television about 7 o'clock, and if they'd move the game up, I'd really appreciate it, but they, they, they won't. But there is a show that came on this fall that I just started watching. It, it's called Broke Girls. Have you seen it? Well, I got into it about um, the first three, and I'm telling you, the, the, um, the, the dialogue was hilarious. I mean, I, I just, these people are geniuses that write this stuff. But then, of course, I don't know whether it was the second episode or the third episode, or the, I, I don't know how many I watched. But the longer I watched, the more it was nothing but sexual innuendo. And some of it wasn't even innuendo. It was raw filth from time to time. I mean, you know, they got this cook in the back, and, you know, he's always trying. And so um, I sit there, and I think, <laughs> this is really funny, and I like a good laugh every now and then. Should I be watching this? <laughs> Uh, but it's so funny, yeah, you know, I really, <laughs> oh, that one was a good one, and it wasn't dirty. Can't watch Broke Girls anymore, ladies and gentlemen. Now, can you watch Broke Girls without, maybe you can, maybe you can. 
But, guys, this principle is, is that it is wrong to do that which I think is wrong, even if I'm wrong about it being wrong. It's wrong to do what I think is wrong, even if I'm wrong about it being wrong. Do you get that? That's right there, ladies and gentlemen. If, if I think God forbids it, then for me to do it, whatever it is, is to show contempt for, for divine authority. Even though my conscience might be maltrained, misinformed. Because if I cannot do it in faith, I, I cannot do it. For me to think that God may just forbid this and do it anyway. Do you see what that says? You know, God may not want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do you see what that says? It's, it's, a, it's a revolt, guys. Um, e- even if I, later on it's determined that, that God didn't forbid it, if I'm, in the, in the, if I'm caught in the, a situation where I wonder if he does or doesn't, for me, it is wrong. If I cannot do it in faith, it is forbidden to me. Now, guys, and some of your consciences maybe need, maybe need to be retrained. They need to, to be reinformed. They need to be biblically um, informed. And, and maybe there are things that you're missing out on that you could... But that's not the point. At this stage in my spiritual development, if I think God forbids it, even if I'm wrong, I cannot do it in faith and I cannot do it. You got that. That's a biggie, guys. Now, but there's something else in that verse that I want you to see. We're going to close with it. We got, I got nine minutes left. And so I just, I just wanted you to know that this is, a, this is one of the five places in the New Testament where you get a definition of sin. Um, uh, Romans 14. Romans 14, 23. It's a very succinct statement and definition of sin. You know, you, you, you've, heard, um, you've heard the people uh, talk about uh, sin means falling short of the mark. Uh, and that's, that's what the, 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 the Greek word is, hamartia. That's the word that's translated sin. And it's an archery term. Um, and it means to, sin is falling short of the mark. That's generally true. That's certainly a true statement. But we get five definitions in the New Testament giving us content to the word sin. Here's one of them. There are four others. Uh, another one that's found in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 12 is, is related to this whole discussion. That is, if I, um, if I cause another brother to sin, it is sin for me. The, the classic illustration is female attire. Um, you know, if, if, if I want to be a fox, that is, if I'm a female, and, um, and my foxiness is very important to me, and I, um, I uh, buy that thing that makes me look foxy, and all the guys in the church come running down the hall to see me in my foxy outfit, 
Well, you, 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 these men in their lurid glances, they sinned. But so did you. You know, guys, do you know how many times people come to me and say, when are you going to do something about the way the women dress at Gracie Van? You know how many times that people come? And, and I, I want to ask them, what did you want me to do? Um, do you want me to go to their husbands and, and um, say, you know, your wife really looks lewd. <laughs> that might cost me a few teeth. <laughs> what do you want me to do? All I can do is teach you the principle, ladies and gentlemen. And the principle is, you want to see it? I mean, it's, it's 1 Corinthians 8, 12. You can, you can look it up if you like later. Um, there's another one. James 4, 17. You know this one? Um, uh, it's called a sin of omission. That is, if I know that which is right to do and I do not do it, it is sin. That's what the text says, ladies and gentlemen. What I'm, try- I'm just giving you five very clear statements of defining sin. Um, I, I just think I'll read that one because um, I, I think you, you've heard of that in your, in, your, in your Sunday school training about sins of omission and sins of commission. Well, here it is. Um, chapter 4, verse 17, where James says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If you know it's right, but you fail to do it, it's sin. And that's called a sin of omission, you know? Um, you, can, you can think of things. Uh, I won't use my examples, uh, but... Um, I better not. Let me read it to you again. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. These other two I want you to see. They're in the book of 1 John. They're both in the book of 1 John. Go first to, to 1 John chapter 3 because these are some interesting words. Um, 1 John 3, 4 says this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. There it is. Pretty succinct, clear definition. Sin is lawlessness. So the question then becomes, what is the law? And anything less than the law is sin. So it's very important that you figure out what does the law have to say? Because by it, sin is determined, or by it, sin is defined. The, the other one is in chapter 5. Um, um, 1 John five seventeen, And where John says this, All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Uh, some of the other translations, um, all unrighteousness is sin, um, the, the only thing that I, w- I want to tell you about these two things is that you notice that the scriptures assume that there is a given standard. <laughs> that, um, that there is a standard, I'm not it, nor is your church, but there is a standard. And it makes no hesitation whatsoever by saying that is sin based on objective standards 
entrusted to us by God and his word. Consequently, ladies and gentlemen, we are, we are not left to, to, to wonder. Um, we live in a world of, of pluralism and relativism, but when it comes to sin, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing relativistic about it. There is a standard, and I am measured by that standard, and my sin is equated or is, is defined by that standard, and the Bible makes a plea for having and presenting those absolutes which are anathema in our culture today. You know, when I was in seminary, um, we, um, we had a, a professor, his name was Alan Killen. And Alan, um, when I got there, was um, senile. And by the time I left, he was senile squared. But um, he was precious. And I, I think he was like 84 when I got there, and he was still teaching philosophy. And, and one of the books that he, um, that he introduced us um, to that we had to just kick around in the class was a book that some of you may have read. It was called Situation Ethics. Remember that one? Oh, it was written by, a, I think he was a Methodist uh, uh, pastor. And he said that, that ethics are determined by the situation. And the, the only law, the only rule that was to govern you is the rule of love. Now, what in the devil does that mean? Um, you know, you've got two um, uh, highly charged um, teenagers, um, um, and they're wondering what we should or shouldn't do. But it's in the name of love. Ladies and gentlemen, the scriptures don't make that kind of silly, foolish statement. They give you standards. And they ask us to live by those standards. Underst- I, 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 I always have to throw this in. It is not by living by those standards that I become a Christian. But having become a Christian, I am committed to those standards as an expression of my, um, my love for Christ. Close with this. Jesus says, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Two questions. Do you love Jesus Christ? Question two. Will you obey him? He's given us the standard. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will remind us that we are, um, we are accountable not to uh, so much to each other, we're accountable to you. That the one before whom we will stand is, uh, is, is you, that it is you who have um, outlined a path that is considered righteous and godless, and our job is to find that one and by the power of the Spirit, Spirit walk in it. So help us in that regard, Father. And then um, I, I do pray that as we look at, at Romans 14, that you'll make us all sweeter. We're not very sweet, Lord. We're, um, we're angular. We're, um, we're fastidious. We're, um, we, we are pugnacious. And I, I pray that 
you might remind us that because we are, we can damage, do great damage to a work that you're up to in the, in the people of God, in, in each other. And instead of mutual edification, mutual upbuilding, we are tearing down a work that should be and can be really beautiful. Do that amongst us, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you and good night.